Welcome back. We are back again with another episode of Prospects Worldwide. We're continuing our series on the top prospects in every minor league system, and we're on episode 16 now, out of 30. Today is all about the Seattle Mariners, and Mariners fans know the last playoff win was in 1995, and that's a long time ago. Every year that passes now brings another year of pain, but they can be more excited with all these prospects coming up now. We'll break them all down right here, right now. So Mariners fans, even though you can't sit in T-Mobile Park this year and watch your favorite team, I invite you to sit back here and talk about your baseball future. I'm John Giles, and this is Prospects Worldwide. Number 16 today, and it is all about the Seattle Mariners. We're here breaking down the entire organization's top prospects that you need to know. Here today to talk about the prospects that will finally bring a playoff victory, maybe more, back to the Mariners. We have the owner of Prospects Worldwide and the Archduke of Armslot. It's Mr. Jake Tillinghast. How's it going, John? Oh, it's another day, man. It is a good day. Uh, you know what? It's not a good day. I tried to golf and the golf course was closed. Not a good day. I'm a sad boy. I went from it was a good day to it was a bad day real quick. Well, you know, I typically am the person who, even if I'm having a bad day, I still just like, yeah, fine, because I just want to continue conversation elsewhere. But uh, to you, I want to bring you down. I want to bring you, I want to get you to a depressing place. So I talk to you about my bad days. But Jake, let's not talk about me. Let's not talk about my deep, dark sadness of not being able to play golf today because of a hurricane. I do want to talk about our guest that we have on today. Joining us once more from what I can only assume is the most decorated baseball man cave in the state of Arizona, prospect analyst and scout for prospectsworldwide.com, Mr. Drake Mann. Drake, how are you today, man? I'm good, John. It's been a long time. I think it's, yeah. what, like a week or two? It's it, That's too long in my eyes, man. I need to it's see you. I need long. to hear your lovely voice every day. Well, thank you. <laughs> are we going to bring some good news to the Seattle fans today? Are we going to Are we gonna bring them a World Series tonight? I hope so. <laughs> All right. Well, let's get down to it then, uh, Jakey and Drakey. Let's get the Mariners fans what they came for. We're going to talk about the top five guys. We're going to hit five players that you want to spotlight out of the remainder of the top 20. I, I do want to point out this article today is not written by either of Jake or Drake. It's actually by our prospect analyst, Matt Alt. He was unable to join us today, but luckily we have the knowledge to talk about the Mariners. Uh, the Mariners system is you know, highlighted primarily by outfielders and starting pitchers. The number one guy on here is just that. He's an outfielder. He was their number one pick back in 2018. Outfielder Jared Kalenic. He's simply electric all over and can do it all. He's going to hit for average and power. He can run. He can play the field. He even has a plus arm. He's good enough long-term to play center field most likely. And outside of the tools, he has, you know, colloquially, he has the high work ethic, the high motor, all these non-tool characteristics that, you know, kind of make I mean, the I difference. I think he's going to be one of the better ones. So, I mean, in our article, we claim him as a I mean, future all-star. How high do you think he's going to rise in the ranks of all the all-stars? Is he going to be one of the best the outfielders skills, in the game? I mean, he... At this point, he's ready to produce. It's just the fact the Mariners aren't ready to call him up. They even said, uh, I think Dakota came out yesterday or today and said they're just kind of, they're going to stick with their plan, kind of not call the young guys up and just kind of roll with that. But the kid's ready. I would say within, honestly, two, three years, he's going to be one of the better players in possibly baseball. But like you said, definitely one of the better outfielders. And the Mariners have a future stud on their hands. Uh, yeah, I mean, I completely agree with uh, what Jake said. I just want to say one thing. Brody Van Wagenen, you sir are dumb. Why would you? You know he listens. Brody, Brody listens. Yeah, he's a fan. BB Dubs, I, he listens, man. I wouldn't doubt it. I mean, this is the best podcast that there is, so I, I would too. I mean, I hope you do. You're on it. <laughs> you should. 
But yeah, Kellenic has all all the tools. I mean, and I think he could definitely be one of the better outfitters in baseball in the next two to three years. So you talk about Brady Van Wagenen being uh, not smart for this trade. That trade was a, let's see, <clears throat> I'm pulling it up right now. Uh, it was the trade for Robinson Cano, or trading away Robinson Cano from the Mariners. Mariners traded Robinson Cano and Edwin Diaz, and in return, they got Kellenic, who's one of the best prospects in baseball. Gerson Batista, Jay Bruce, Justin Dunn, Anthony Swarzak, all of them competing at the major league level. Mariners, not only did you win on the major league level because you got rid of so much bad contract and everyone knows what Edwin Diaz became, but you also won by getting get Kellenic. Kellenic is a stud in the making. Yeah, the guy's, like, like we all said, the guy's a stud. He's going to be one of the better outfielders. His swing's built, just be consistent and just honestly hit for average, hit for power. He's going to steal some bases. He's going to replace all defense. He might end up being the center fielder of the future or the, Mar- or the Mariners. It's it's not going to be Julio. It could be him. As, as of now, it's Kyle Lewis, so he'll probably break in as a uh, corner outfielder. But if they want to try to keep uh, Kyle Lewis a little more healthy as he's been kind of hurt throughout his career, they might look to move him off. And then you still got Taylor Trammell. So, I mean, if Trammell comes up and they keep him, that could be another thing there. So, Kalanick can play all over the outfield, and he's going to be an all-star, no doubt. Sure. Statistically, Kalanick is outrageous. I mean, last year, 500 plate appearances. He ends up getting 60 extra base hits off 129 hits. Every other hit, essentially, is an extra base hit. 20 home runs, or 23 home runs, 31 doubles, 5 triples. It's like He has so much power, so much all-over-the-field power. He sprays the ball. I'm done talking about him. I just want to watch him play. Let's move on to the next. Let's keep our eyes on him in the future. But in the moment, let's go to the next guy. He's another outfielder for the Mariners, Julio Rodriguez. With him, take a little bit of speed away from Kellenic and then add a touch more power, and you got J-Rod. He's only 19. There's still a lot of projection left, but he seems to be the type of player that can really rise through the ranks fast. Obviously, this screw this year screws up the you know whole traditional promotion timeline. But when should we expect to see Jer- uh, Julio Rodriguez in the majors? And and when he gets there, how great is he going to be? As far as ETA is concerned, I would say we're probably not going to see him next year, especially since he just kind of missed some time with that wrist injury this year. He's had surgery, and I believe he's back by now, but mm-hmm. I'm not sure he'll be up by next season, especially with the Mariners. I mean, they'll be looking at contending next year, especially with Kalenic up and a few of these pitchers kind of breaking in and onto the scene. But realistically, the year after that's kind of their real window. So we might see Julio break in at the end of next season if he's just crushing it in the minors, if, if he's just like killing it and there's nothing else you can really do. The Mariners are in somewhat of contention. We can see them call him up, let him get a kind of drink of water. But I'm kind of counting on 2022 to really see him just break on. And by that time, I'm just kind of expecting him to break right onto the scene. He's an advanced hitter. He just really needs a little more reps, a little more defensive reps. But the offensive ceiling is honestly, I see a lot of just J.D. Martinez and still ability to play the outfield he's not going to be a dh liability he's going to be able to play the outfield i mean i i'm all in on julio quite honestly this guy's going to be as much as i love kalenic on all around i think kalenic's the better all-around player but just a strict if you're going to just go by strict statistics on offense julio might be better if he might be one of the better prospects in baseball just in those terms like he's going to go out there and be very likely the three-hitter for the mariners for a long time yeah i mean even if it even if it does take until 2022 for him to make his major league debut, he's still going to be 21 years old. He's going to have a massively long career, and if he's JD Martinez at the bat, that that's just going to be incredible from day one. Honestly, I, I like the comp of JD Martinez, but I actually have a different comp, which I think makes a lot of sense. I see a lot of Aaron Judge and Julio Rodriguez. 
especially with the swing path. I mean, he's not the giant that uh, Aaron Judge is. That's the first is. thing I looked for. I was like, how tall is he? <laughs> yeah, no, he, Rodriguez is only 6'3". But when oh, you're looking at the, oh. at the swing. <laughs> only 6'3". Uh, I mean, in, in comparison yeah. to to Judge, that that's short. But yeah. but, yeah, no doubt. He has just that power potential. His swing's very, very nice. It's just nice and simple. A lot of hard line drive contact. And I'm actually very excited to see Julio Rodriguez uh, at the on the big stage. Sure. I mean, two consecutive years, 2018, 2019, both of them he finished with an OPS of 929. You're a hair under 1,000 OPS when you're 17 and 18 years old. Granted, rookie ball and A ball, the lack of competition there is very real. But – the stat, I mean, I know it's not all about the stats. The tools are important as well, but the stats don't lie. He is he is just crushing the ball. So, you know, I I, I know that the power is going to be there. I know that the contact is going to be there. 60 hit, 60 power. We know that he sprays the ball to all fields, similar to Kellenic. And just everything about his offensive profile just is good. There's, there's no wrongs. Even his fielding, 50 fielding, he can play in the field. He can do what he needs to do. But I want to move away from the outfielders. We have two stud outfielders topping the system. I told you at the top, this system is all about outfielders and pitchers. Here comes our first pitcher. It's Emerson Hancock, and he was considered by nearly everyone as one of the best college pitchers coming out of the draft this year. His four-pitch mix includes three potential plus pitches, which are you know a mid-90s fastball, uh, his changeup and slider, both plus, and you mix in a 55-grade command, we're looking like we're looking at a 55 future value pitcher. That matches the value of highly touted guys like Asa Lacy, Spencer Howard, Sixto Sanchez. He did have a lat injury in the middle of last year that caused him to lose some momentum in draft stock. But overall, this, he still profiles out very nicely. What's Hancock ceiling for the Mariners? A future ace? Maybe like a number two man? Like you said, people thought he was the best pitcher in the draft last year or this, this past draft. I thought he was the absolute best, in my opinion. He was head, not head and shoulders, but he was my pick for the best pitcher in the draft. And... I don't know. I just see the most projection long-term, just the delivery, the arsenal, just all of it's just set up for the long-term success. And when I was kind of digging his profile, I mentioned on the uh, the draft podcast as well. If you go check that out, we'll kind of touch on other guys as well. But um, I kind of touched on his changeup a bit and he, he averaged 11.8 inches of vertical break, which would have placed him at the top of any pitcher in the major league baseball that threw a minimum of 50 changeups last season in uh, 2019, not, not this season, but that was, I think, two inches better than any other pitcher in baseball. And that next guy was Joey Lucchesi, who hasn't pitched a ton this year. But the pitch is honestly, it could be, it could be a true seventy pitch, in my opinion. It's that good, and the slider's just as good too. It's, it got a fifty-seven percent swinging strike rate in college, and the the RPMs and the spin rates aren't that great on it. But the movement is fantastic. And like you said, the lat injury kind of held him back, and then the missed time obviously held him back a little bit too. I think if he got a chance to just go out there and pitch for a season at Georgia for his final season, I think he very likely would have been the first, first pitcher off the board. I really think that of him. Sure. I mean, I'm just looking at, you know, other players that kind of match his arsenal and size and things like that. And it's Casey Mize, Justin Verlander type players. Yeah. He has that four pitch mix that you can literally dream on that every pitch can be used in almost any situation. The curveball definitely has to come a bit of ways. He's definitely more of a three pitch guy right now, but that curveball it has potential and is if you as long as you can throw that for strikes and just kind of keep lefties off balance because you're gonna need that fastball change at first them and a slider if you're able to back with that he's got four pitches to use as any any hitter i mean i'm not sure if he's gonna be using that curveball much for his righties but he's deadly versus any of them 
Drake, what are your thoughts on Hancock? I'm looking at his college stats right now. His last year, 13 strikeouts per nine, one walk per nine. It, it looks like he's a lights-out pitcher. Yeah, I mean, I really, really like his command. I mean, normally you have a, a high, like, a college pitcher, and they struggle with command as they're going through uh, their time in the minors. I don't see that with Hancock at all. I think, like you said, the potential for three-plus pitches, and especially with uh, how well he can – uh, command the ball on both sides of the plate. I, I think he could easily be uh, the ace for the Mariners going forward. Well, I mean, I, we see him as the ace. I'm curious what you guys think of uh, with the next guy here, another pitcher. And like Hancock, he brings that 55 future value. We're talking Logan Gilbert. Unlike Hancock, he's been in affiliated ball already, and he's proven himself worthy. Last year in 26 games, he worked his way to a 2.1 ERA and a whip under one, uh, a 32% strikeout rate all against some of the best prospects in the minors in AA Texas League. He may not have the lights-out fastball velocity that Hancock has, but Gilbert has proven that he can use that four-pitch arsenal and plus command to just dominate batters. How high should we be long-term on Gilbert? I'm actually a big fan of Logan Gilbert. I think I think he's a nice uh, number two pair with uh, Emerson Hancock, de- definitely. Even though he doesn't have that fastball velocity, I think it's really nice to have like that control artist behind another control artist uh, like Hancock is. Sure. Uh, Jake, how big is the separation? How big is the gap between uh, Gilbert and Hancock? Is it one, two? Is, is is Hancock a one and Gilbert's only a three or four pitcher? How close are they? I, I think Hancock's ceiling is kind of that low tier at best ace. I'm not sure he has complete, just true number one ace like you can't even question it. Kind of like that Verlander, like you questioned or asked before. I'm not sure he has that exact upside, but regardless, I see, I see, I kind of see Gilbert fitting in as probably the three long term. We'll speak on Kirby in a bit, but I'm just sold on Kirby's all around game. But there's just no knock on Gilbert at all. The kid's a, honestly a fantastic pitcher in his own right. He just he needs a little more seasoning. I think he's only pitched one season in the minors. He's still he's he's obviously not young. He's 23 now, um, but. He's only had one year in the minors. He got to, he got out to double A last year in his first year in the minors. So the Mariners are kind of rushing him a bit. People are expecting him by this season. Obviously, like I mentioned earlier, Depoto is not going to rush anyone up this year. So it looks like no one's going to really get called up late late in the season. So I expect him to be up next season, and he's kind of going to be that first arm up to get that crack to stick as the eighth. He'll be the I guess you want to call veteran of these young guys because he always be that guy that's been up the up the most by one year, but. Yeah, I see him being up next year. Eventually, like I said, settling in at that probably number three role as a really strong number three. I mean, if you have a guy that would, we have plus command and just four strong pitches to go with his arsenal and just, again, tack hitters and just be overall a good pitcher in Safeco with a good defense coming in with a good young team. For a number three pitcher, you got to be excited about that. Even if he turns into something better or worse, he's going he's gonna to stick in rotation with that command as long as he's healthy. That's the only real concern you have is if he can stay healthy, but... He's a big kid, and I have every kind of hope he will. And so I'm trying to find it in the stats right now as you guys are speaking, but I can't quite locate exactly where I found it. I, I saw recently he had more strikeouts via you know looking than he did via strikeout. So his stuff must just be moving in such a way that, that batters just can't get a hold of it. He does have 14% swing and strike percentage, but 32% strikeout rate in general. He's just striking out a ton of guys all just because his pitches are just so filthy. Yep, and he was he was facing some younger hitters when he was uh, in A ball, just when he was kind of coming back from that, that injury. But he ended the year in Double A, and he was holding that ten strikeouts per nine. The walk rate was 
for the most part the same and the even the strike the home runs jumped down so overall he was virtually the same pitcher up there that he was in a ball and I think that's probably what we can expect going forward. Obviously, he's not going to probably be a 2.5 ERA pitcher or whatever, but it's also not the end of the game, but he's going to be great. And I will say, you mentioned the ERA again. The ERA is kind of camouflaged. It's a 2-1-3 ERA. His XFIP that year was 3-1-5, so he did get a little lucky on the base paths. But ultimately, it's still, even if you had an ERA of 3-1-5 in AA with, that, with those numbers, I'm happy with it. So he outperformed something that was already good. But let's move away. From the two pitchers, and I mentioned the system is stacked with outfielders and pitchers, outfielders and pitchers. Number five here is a first baseman. Evan White is Evan White is a gold glove caliber defensive first baseman who also offers an above average hit tool, raw power, speed, and arm. Though at first that arm might not be too terribly important. Usually I'm used to first baseman profiling out as like a 60 or higher power and just average fielding, but we have the exact opposite happening here. Obviously, we want our first baseman to hit, you know, 45 home runs and sit in the middle of the lineup. But White will likely hit probably something like 20 or 25 while locking down that corner defensively. And that way, he kind of reminds me of Eric Cosmer. And he's a guy that's been viewed wildly different by everyone across the league. In any year, Hosmer could be a zero war player or a four war player, all pretty much random. How excited should I be on a guy that has this type of profile? All right. So at the time of the article, he was actually still a prospect, but... Now, I, I think since he's like five or six at-bats away from graduating. so uh, But I, I do like White. I think I think it was smart for the Mariners to sign him to a long-term contract because that really shows that they are invested in him as a player. And especially, he's going to be their first baseman of the future for the Mariners. And you said that power may not be 40 to 50 like uh, a normal first baseman would be, but just what he brings on both sides of the ball is um, as a incredible to say the least but is it enough like i know i understand defensively jake you have very strong feelings about defensive first baseman i see it as so many times we take a guy who doesn't know how to field properly but he knows how to hit and they're like oh we'll just sub him in at first base it'll be fine the fact that they do that so many times throughout the years and now we have this guy who hits fine he hits perfectly perfectly fine but his defense is so high so he has to play first right there it almost feels like we're losing something by not having a power, power bat at first. Yeah, I mean, you would think you're losing some stuff, but maybe I'm the high guy on Evan White. I don't know. I really like his bat. I I don't think what we've seen from him is what we're going to get long term. I mean, yeah, he's been not dreadful, but he hasn't been very productive with the bat this season in his first taste of big league action. But again, it's his first taste of big, of big league action. He got a decent little contract in preseason, some pressure. I mean, it's a weird season, especially, I mean, imagine being a rookie and this season you get a contract and you're kind of expected to go out there and prove a point. He's shown everything on defense to literally grab that 80 grade that we have on him. I don't, I don't care what people say. This kid's the second best defender in baseball at the position behind Matt Olson, and it's really not even a question at this point. He's shown me more than enough. It's almost at a point where he's already an 80 grade fielder. There's some projection left on our board, but due to the fact just we need to see a little bit more like just game action but i mean i don't i honestly don't even need to see it this kid's got it all and like i said i think the bat's gonna is gonna tap into some power i think it could it's definitely gonna be a 50 it could get it to a 55 and if it does he's gonna be an all-star for years to come even if it's a 50 i think the hit tool is gonna be fine the kid's a line drive hitter he's a gap to gap guy he's gonna find the gaps he's gonna drive runs in and when you're hitting very likely behind 
um, Julio Hellenic, and then whoever else this team's got. I mean, eventually we're going to be talking about Noel V. If he's up in a few years, you got all these guys sitting in front of you. You're going to have so many RBI opportunities. And for a guy that just finds contact, he struck out a little bit this year, but I think eventually he's going to be a decent contact rate guy and a solid average guy. And he's going to drive in near a hundred runs. Yeah. That's a team aspect, but he's, he's going to have some clutch gene. I, I really like this kid. I understand. I mean, I, I definitely see how, you know, you, you see what you, you've been looking at this guy for a couple of years now and you know what he has. And now that he's in the majors, the numbers aren't there, man. Like I, I understand it's small sample size, 43 games, but slash line of 167, 248, 313 is. Go look at Walker Dealers rookie year. Go look at a lot of players rookie years. Rookie years. It is what it is. I mean, you get their feet wet. You see how they do. He's just look at his savant page. I mean, he's 92nd in an exit velocity. He's 96th in hard hit per- percentage. He's 83rd in barrel percentage. Yeah, he strikes out a lot right now. Yeah, he's whiffing a lot. But I think a lot of that comes with just knowledge of the strike zone, learning the pitching, learning the league. A lot of that, I mean, all these guys that are some of the best players in the league, obviously we have a few guys that stand out, Juan Soto and Ronald Acuna. But not everyone's like that. People take time to adjust to the league. Minor leagues is a whole different ball game. Obviously, we say it all the time with pitching, how much of his adjustment up there. And then when you're not exactly looked at as a stat first guy, it's going to be definitely pressure on you. And I mean, I, I like what I see still. Like you said, the numbers aren't good, but I'm still hopeful on this kid. He's, he's got a lot of talent to work with. Uh, I was actually going to provide an example because like of how valuable defense could be to a team. The Cardinals at one point where Jose Martinez was their first baseman were worst in baseball in errors. As we all know, they traded for Goldschmidt. The next year, they were pretty much at the top of uh, the charts in the least errors committed in baseball. So that having that first baseman that can dig it, that can make those plays, those routine plays, instead of a first baseman like Jose Martinez where he's, he should be a DH, it, it's very valuable to a team and can make your uh, defense that much better. Yeah, I mean, it gives your entire defense just, or defense that confidence to make that bad throw. Like you said, they're making the routine plays, they're making the solid plays, but it doesn't give anyone on that infield any question that I can throw this ball anywhere near that first base. I can rush my throw, I can throw it in the dirt, I can just get it over there, and we're going to get it out. I think J.P. Crawford said it himself. The guy's a vacuum, and I can literally make any throw. The guys make me almost a gold glover myself. And like I said, that guy makes everyone on the infield better, as you said, too, Jake. It's just so valuable to have. Okay. Well, I, I won't I won't ignore the defense. I just want to end with the fact that he had almost three times as many strikeouts as hit so far. And you can talk about exit velocity. You can talk about barrels all you want. All of those stats have to do with putting the bat on the ball. And so far, he's proven that that's a struggle. So he could improve. It's rookie year. I, I'm just pointing out what's happening. So far, it's not pretty. But guys, that is it for the top five. Let's take a quick break, and we'll be right back. What's up, folks? It's Steve from the Grande and Big Sum Show. If you're looking for the hottest takes, Twitter debates, and everything going on in sports and pop culture, then look no further. We've got you covered. Whether it's tackling the newest in the NFL, NBA, and college sports, catching up with some of your favorite college and pro athletes, or just chopping it up, there's something here for everyone. You can find the Grande and Big Sum Show on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Also, be sure to follow along on Twitter and Instagram at Grande and BS Pod. That's G R A N D E and BS Pod. Thanks, and we'll see you guys soon. And we are back. Welcome back. Like we never left. We've touched on the top five of the Seattle Mariners, and now we're moving on to spotlight five more in the back of the top 20. 
Our first spotlight is the third pitcher here. We talked about him for a quick second, George Kirby. He came out of Elon last year as a righty sitting mid to low 90s, a few above average secondaries, but plus plus command. My first thought was more of a crafty righty, kind of a dying breed, but apparently he also kisses 99 when he comes out of the bullpen. It, uh, 99 potential with plus plus command is virtually unheard of. What type of pitcher are we going to see next year during his age 23 season and then moving forward? I think this is the guy, like I said, I think this is the guy that puts Gilbert in that three spot and he pushes Hancock for that ace potential with that command. You're looking at a potential. I mean, he's really on the same path as like a Shane Bieber that was. He was the same way in the minor leagues. He would strike guys out. He would would not walk guys. I mean, this guy didn't walk a single guy in 23 innings. He had only 23 innings, but not walking a single guy. I don't care who you're playing against. That's literally just the ability to find the zone and literally, literally elite command. Just give us, give us some more time. This guy will be an 80 command guy. And the stuff's going to tick up. As you've seen with a lot of other pitchers in baseball now, just having that ability to locate just consistently all your pitches makes your stuff just... There's so much knowledge around the league now and so much data where you can just... If you know how to locate that well, you can attack every single hitter with every single ability that you have. And you're always at an advantage. If you're able to do that, it's so valuable. I mean, like you said, the guy's touching 99 now. Depoto is saying that he's been touching up to 99 ever since uh, they've been out alternate site. I'm not sure he's going to be sitting 99, but he was sitting 92, 94 before. I mean, if he's sitting, even just sitting 93, 95, again, that fastball plays up. It even has a chance of the play as a 70 because he's able to locate it low. He's able to locate it in, high, away, up and in, whatever these guys can touch. And that pitch is going to be super valuable. I think this guy's got the ceiling of, like I said, it's probably not going to be a Shane Bieber, but it's going to be a Shane Bieber light. And that's good enough to be a number one or two in most rotations. So you talked about his uh, minimal walks. In the last uh, three years of playing baseball for him over three different levels, so uh, college, uh, Cape Cod League, and then minor leagues, he's faced 1,148 batters. He's walked 51 of them, and 44 of them came in his first two years uh, when he was 18 and 19 years old at Elon. So <laughs> he, is, he, he is an absolute painting the black machine. Yeah, I mean, like I said, this guy's this guy's going to do it. Like you said, he's going to paint the black, and it's not even like he's just throwing the ball over the middle of the plate. He is literally painting, and he's going to locate in, out, and it's tough to hit. He's got good stuff, and he's the locating is just tough on hitters. I, I just want to say one thing about this, about uh, the, what the Mariners are building here. You guys remember the last time we had three control artists in the front of a rotation? It no. It's, every time we do this, we always have guys who are like 70 stuff, 40 command, 30 command. This is a, a wild rotation. I'm talking about Greg Maddox, Tom Glavin, John Smoltz. I think, I think we could see that with these guys. All control artists. We got to remember that. And we got to get Kirby some glasses so he can be Maddox, man. <laughs> we got to get Drake some history books so we can see how good those guys were too. Holy <laughs> moly! I, I I understand how good they were, but like the Mariners have actually got have actually made quite a good rotation going forward with these three guys. And honestly, Kirby, like you've been saying, Jake, Kirby could outlast both of them if he continues with that plus command that he has. Yeah, I don't doubt that they got a strong rotation going. I'm not sure they have 90s Braves kind of stuff going on, but even if they're a touchdown from that or even two knocks down from that, they're going to be 
like we've touched in the beginning of the podcast, they're not going to, or they, they, they haven't won a World Series. They've hardly been in the playoffs recently. This is the future. I mean, we just, we just named you three pitchers that are going to hopefully be sitting at the top of the rotation. And they're all on the cusp of debuting. Kirby's got an ETA of 2021. Like we said, uh, Hancock's 2022 and Gilbert should be joining Kirby next year with 2021. They should have two guys ready to step at the top of the rotation and just kind of lead these young kids as Kalanick, Julio, all these guys start debuting at the same time. It's almost kind of like what we saw a few years back with the Astros where everyone's kind of just coming in the same time. They're going to come into the league. They might struggle for a year and then you give it a year or two and they're one of the best teams in the league. They're all on young contracts. They go out and make a big move for someone. I mean, we haven't even got to Taylor Trammell yet and they're already set in the outfield from Kyle Lewis, Julio, and Kalenic. I'm not sure where Trammell fits in, but they got all these pieces to go make a trade for virtually anyone in the league they want at the time. I mean, give it two years. I'm not sure who we're going to even be looking at as available prospects, but I mean, who knows? There's going to be all these young guys that are available and like I said, they'll go out there any one of them that they feel can put them over the top. You speak on these trades. We all know Jerry DePoto is trade, <laughs> trade, 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 trade. All he wants to do is trade. He wants to call up every single GM in baseball and offer a trade daily. I want these three pitchers to start the season in Seattle and not have to still be in double A, triple A going into you know trade deadline and just offer these guys as trade bait. I would not want this for Mariners fans. These Mariners fans deserve these pitchers. If I had to guess, I think these three are set in stone in part of their plans. I don't think they'd consider trading these guys at this point. Just I think they fit their model too much. They're they're an advanced model team and they're really into the data and just advanced analytics. And these guys just fit everything they're looking for. And there's going to be some other guys that they'd be looking to move off of probably, especially guys that are kind of debuting this year. Justin Dunn, if they can get done. I mean, Sheffield's pitching well. They're going to have some value in him possibly next year that they maybe didn't think they had last year. So he could be an option to be moved. There's a few other guys, but I don't think any of those three guys are moving. I think they're set, and we'll probably touch on a, maybe another guy or two that could get moved. But, yeah, those guys aren't going anywhere, I don't think. Yeah, and uh, remember, uh, DePoto actually got a lot of criticism for when he rebuilt the the Mariners. So it looks like it's starting to work out for him. So that'll be really, really nice to see for Mariners fans. I mean, I hope it works out for him, but we've been saying for about nine years, the Padres, oh, one more year, oh, one more year. And this year seems to be good. They're probably the most exciting team in baseball. But it took one more year, one more year, one more year, like 12 times in a row. And I don't think Mariner fans can handle this for another couple years. But let's move on to a guy who's not going to make his major league debut anytime soon. Noel V. Marte, uh, number seven on the list. He's only 18 years old. That's why I say that. He still has all the potential in the world. I have a question from Reddit on him, though. The, the guys and gals at Reddit are incredible at asking these questions. I got bombarded with some questions today. But Retro Slouch wants to know if Marte is going to be a good, a good candidate for third base. Right now, he's a shortstop. But he's got 50 gloves, 60 arm, so he does seem to fit that defensive profile. Additionally, the bat should grow to be suited enough for that hot corner. You know, 60 power looks good there. The only thing is he's yet to log an inning at third. Theory is all said and good, but do you see Marte manning the corner effectively? Yeah, I think he can be an effective third baseman, and the bat's going to play for sure. I love the bat, but speak on the defense first, I think he can definitely last. I'm not sure he'll stick at shortstop, kind of like the question was leading to. Um He's fine there for now. He'll definitely stick there for the next probably year or so. And then as they kind of see there what they're kind of working with at their major league level, they'll probably move him over to the to like the, like the, yeah, the third base position. And I think he'll be a, at worst league average there. He'll, he won't be ever plus at the position in my opinion, but 
Like I said, he has the arm. He's got the quickness and he's got the all overall just instincts to be fine with the position. He can come in on the ball fine. He has the strong arm. He can make the throws coming in. He can make him sitting back deep in the hole, deep in the, or deep down the line. The bat's what I'm, oh, honestly, just pumped about. This guy's still probably underrated in terms of prospects. Honestly, like this kid's going to be one of the better prospects by next season. I mean, he's gotten a big this season. He's, he's almost 19 now. He turns 19 next month. He's gotten a lot bigger than he was even just a year ago. He was this little, this little kid. He still hit nine home runs, 17 steals last year in his first year of uh, a rookie ball. And he got a lot bigger this year. So, I mean, that's going to be more power. And I think he has a swing that, that's built for it. Like I always touch on and John touched on earlier, something that I always look on is just their ability to just find extra base hits in the lower levels, just doubles, triples, obviously home runs are nice, but not every kid can kind of reach the seats at that age. But he had 18 doubles, four triples, and again, nine homers in just 65 games. And that's a ton of extra base hits and a ton of just ability to hit the ball down down the lines or down the gap or in the, in the gaps hard. And he even has 17 steals that shows up that speed. When he breaks in the league, he'll probably be one of those guys that kind of steals a 20, 20 base season. But as he kind of develops and really develops his power, he's going to be that seven to 10 steal guy. And he's really going to just be that productive offensive force. He's going to be sitting at the top of the lineup or that two, three, four slot just with Kalenic and Julio. They're going to be that two, three, four slots. And that's, the future trio of the of the, uh, the Mariners. I don't think he's as far off as you might think, to be honest. I think he definitely is a year left in the minors, no doubt. But this year, if you think about it, he would have been for sure an A ball. And I'm high on him. I think he may have had a chance to reach double uh, A, very unlikely. But by next season, he would have been a double A and then triple A. So, I mean, if he goes out next season and produces, he's getting good ABs this year in the, in the alternate site. He's facing off against some decent, some decent pitchers that have gotten even MLB time this year. So he's facing off against MLB quality pitchers. And he's producing. He's hitting homers. He's finding gaps. He's still hitting the ball hard. I love the kid. Jake, the one stat that you uh, didn't really discuss, which I want to discuss, is that 371 on base percentage. And the Mariners, we we know that they have these really powerful bats coming up through their system, but they don't have a lot of high on base guys. So when Marte, he could be that leadoff hitter. Then you could have Rodriguez, Kalanick, all those guys follow. They get plenty of opportunity to drive in runs and make things happen uh, with the bat. And Marte definitely uh, going forward could be that type of player. Yeah, I like uh, I like Marte a lot. I'm curious, you know, that this question about him moving to third, how effective he's going to be? Because I'm looking at his shortstop numbers. Uh, granted, rookie league, we always have to keep take those types of numbers with a grain of salt. But fielding percentage less than ninety percent, thirty errors in sixty three games. You're looking at an error every other game. You move to third, that limits a little bit, but still got to cut that back. So, so I want to move away from Marte here. Weirdly enough, the next guy on our list is number eight. We, we don't usually do this. We don't usually do one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. But the Mariner system in particular is very noteworthy up top. We had to mention these guys. At number eight is the newest Mariner, Taylor Trammell. He comes over from the Padres in return that the Mariners gave up. Recent minor league free agent catcher Austin Nola. Trammell completes their future outfield alongside J-Ron and Kalenic. I know you mentioned, Jake, that you weren't sure about that, but he gives the Padres plus fielding and plus plus speed and an above average bat. Sure, he may never hit for mass power. It's even a 45, I think. He does have a particularly weak arm, which troubles me because he probably profiles best in center field, but then he has a weak arm, so you don't want to put him in the center field. So he doesn't really match anywhere there doesn't have the power to play in the corners. It's tough to kind of see where he's going to slot. How is he going to slot in, in this outfield? I mean, 
when you're talking about Trevell, you already have all those three outfits, like you said earlier on. But I think, yeah, I think he fits left field a lot better because that power is going to, to transfer, I think, fairly well. He has that plus bat speed, and he has that gap-to-gap power. But I just think that Trammell, if he hits his potential, could be that left fielder. But if all else fails, he could probably be a fourth outfield type. And I want to mention one more thing, is that he is Rule 5 eligible. So if the Mariners can't find room for him, he's going to be a Rule 5 bait. And he will certainly get snagged up. Oh, yeah, no doubt. Jake, here's your time to shine, man. <laughs> Yeah, like like you said, he. I just don't think it makes sense. Quite honestly, like they have a lot of they have the talent in place. I don't. I don't think you trade for a guy with that prospect pedigree, of Taylor Chamel, and with thoughts of making him your fourth outfielder. That just doesn't make sense to me. I, I don't think that's the plan. I think the plan is to trade him for something, whether it be a package, whether it be just trading him. I mean, it, the kid's been on literally, I think, three teams now in what two seasons. So I mean, nothing against him. I don't think it's anything like a shot at the kid for like most of the time you see that happening. It's usually someone with an attitude problem or just bad makeup or some aspect that's not good. But for him, I mean, he's a great kid and he has all the talent. I think it's just the fact that he's been the highlight of a lot of big trades. And I'm just not honestly that high on him. Uh, I used to be one of the high guys on Tremel when he kind of came out of high school. I thought this the fact that he was playing football he was never really focused on baseball his whole career. Now that he was, I thought that was just going to be a huge kind of turning point. At some point, he would just kind of, it was kind of just like quick for him. But I don't know if it's going to. Maybe, maybe I'm just going to give it up too soon. Maybe that quick year is next year at the major league level. I'm not sure. He's going to get a shot because, like I said, Julio's not going to be ready next year. And as you guys said, he's Rule 5 eligible. So the Mariners either have no choice but to give him a shot. Or, like you said, lose him, which I don't think you're just going to lose this guy. That just makes no sense. Again, so they're going to give him a shot, and he'll virtually get the entire year to prove he's worth it and carve out a role. And at that point, if you think about it, okay, he carves out a starting role. Who are you not going to start? Who are you going to trade? Are you really going to trade Kalenic? Are you really going to trade Julio? Are you going to trade Kyle Lewis, who you've invested five years in now as a first-round pick, all this time and effort with injuries, and now he's finally producing? Are you going to move on from him so quickly? I don't think so either. So I still think Tramiel's a guy to move. I think next year he literally comes up and just plays for, again, a trade. I, I agree that he's probably the more likely to be traded only for the fact of the initial investment to get him wasn't much. Like I mentioned, Austin Nola was just signed as a minor league free agent. He mm-hmm. was a guy in a scrap heap. And the Mariners signed him, and he ended up being a really good player. But they didn't have anything invested in Nola, so they were easily trading him to get Tramiel. So now that could be a future, you know, pick it up and just trade him for the next piece. And even if he stays on the roster, Julio Rodriguez could easily be a DH. We're calling him J.D. Martinez with a little bit of a fielding tool. We can just go ahead and put him in DH and let everyone else play the field around him. Yeah, or it could just be a rotating door. Just get him some time, get Kyle Lewis some time, just get them all, just keep them all healthy. And yeah, it could definitely be a thing. There's, There's room for them all to work. I just think it's best for their team to make a big move. And I think that's what you do in these situations when you're, you have all this junk talent, you go after some big horse pitcher or just middle of the order bat that you can fit into your long-term plans. That's not going to be a one-year guy. That's going to be a two, three-year success and be strong at the top of whatever you choose, your lineup or your rotation. What's interesting is like, like you said, a lot of teams would just like bring up a prospect just to kind of audition him for other teams for trades. I mean, the uh, Mariners basically did that with Nola, in my opinion. They basically brought him up, said 
here you go, you're going to be a catcher. And he got them, or he netted them, basically Trammell. So the Mariners could do that same plan and see if they could get them that, you know, number two, number three in their rotation when they're actually ready to compete. You think about it, if they go out and get an ace type pitcher for this rotation, we just spoke on Kirby, Hancock having that potential at the top of the rotation and then Gilbert. If they add an ace at the top of the rotation, everyone just ticks down a spot. That's just... This team is built. This team is built. No, it's not. This team is built for the long haul. I hate hate to say it. I'm an Angel fan and all, but they're going to have trouble with them and a lot. This team is built. Yeah, I mean, I I think it's fair to say that the overarching view of the top eight prospects here, they are going to be just fine. (laughs) No matter what decision they make with Trammell, whether he's on the field or even as a fourth outfielder or trade bait, whatever it is, they're going to be fine because they have so much talent. Uh, in the up and ups right here in the minors. But let's move away from these top eight guys and let's finally take our first ball down the list. Let's go to number 13. We've got uh, the 23rd rounder, Sam Delaplane. He's proof that you don't have to be a top pick, uh, top pick to make an impact. He's got a lights out fastball slider combo that gets tossed around with just a 45 command. But the whiff rates are just unbelievable. Uh, swinging strike percentage of 22% and a K rate of 46%. It's almost half the batters they face that strike out against him. He's a bullpen-only guy, and he's already 25, so it's no wonder he's all the way down here at 13. But is he the closer of the future? As far as closer of the future, I don't think he'll be that. He has the stuff. Like you said, the fastball slider duo is legitimately swing and miss stuff. I mean, like you said, 45.8% strikeouts in 68 innings is just unheard of. But yeah, he's got great stuff. I think the future closer is the guy we'll touch on next, but... Delaplane's going to be right behind him in terms of the eighth, ninth inning guy, and he's going to get some safe opportunities as well. Like he's, he misses enough bats. The walk rate's not exactly what you would hope for in that role. It's eight, about nine percent. But when you have that swing and miss stuff, you're going to get your chances as as a closer. And I really like his stuff. His slider's deadly on right-handed hitters, and that fastball. He has, he has a tough angle that he comes from, and it's just as a reliever when you come in and you face, or as a hitter when you come in and face a reliever with just nasty stuff and he comes from just a different little angle it's not totally different but it's just a little bit off than what you're used to it's tough to just square up especially for just one look like it's all that you're gonna get from a reliever and you're getting one look from a guy which just lights out stuff and it's gonna be tough on you i like this hit a lot well it, it's funny that you say his walk rate's a little too high 8.8 percent. i was about to bring up that with the 46 percent k rate i was surprised it was only 8.8 percent. i would think someone with this high a k rate is gonna have such wild stuff that his walk rate would be, you know, 15%, 18%, 8%. I'm not terribly mad at that when you're striking out half your batters. No, that's a damn good point. I mean, he definitely has his Ks, and he's going to walk with you guys, like I said. So it's just a little concerning. But when you're striking that many guys out, obviously there's not a ton of guys on base in the first place. So, I mean, he doesn't even give up that many hits either. He, he just kind of limits damage in general. So there's not a ton of guys on base. So even if there's a few walks built in there, obviously you don't want that as a closer. But... It's kind of like that Francisco Rodriguez back in the day is, like I mentioned, I was an Angel fan, but it just that same kind of mindset. It might be a little lower walk rate than Frankie was, but you go out there, you K two guys an inning, you walk one or you walk two, you're in trouble, you're sweating, your fans are sweating, your manager's like, what the hell have I got myself into again? And you go out and strike the third guy and everyone's like, yeah, this guy's a star, an all-star. But like I said, this guy's going to be good. I just don't think he's going to be the closer long-term because I think that guy they got that we're going to talk about next, that kid's going to be an elite reliever long-term and I think he was a star of that trade they got from the Padres. So you you open up the door to the next guy here because when it comes to the Mariners right now they're the third worst bullpen in baseball with a bullpen ERA of over six and they need help. So so Delaplane can be a guy but then you mentioned the next guy 
The other piece of the Taylor Trammell trade, it's Andres Munoz. Comes in with a 103-mile-an-hour fastball, and it's the, it's one of the only guys that I remember saying so far, 80-grade fastball. Say, I think we say a couple times 70-grade, you know, things like that. But I don't recall saying prior a current 80-grade fastball. That's insane. It's, it's absolutely filthy. And, well, elite. The slider is only plus, but the command is below average. He's only 21, and he already has major league experience. And in 23 innings pitched, he's putting up 12 strikeouts per nine, four walks per nine. If that rate continues, I want to bring the walks down a little bit, but ultimately no complaints. Question is, will it continue? I think it will continue. I mean, I'm a big, big fan of Andres Munoz, especially watching him in San Diego. And I actually got to be a fan of him because of Arizona Fall League. I I was watching Fall League one night, and the dude was just throwing 100-plus past every single guy that he faced. The one thing, like, he's very interesting because he uses his lower half really well in his delivery, but he uses a lot of his elbow in his delivery as well. And I hope that that gets short uh, up a bit because if not, he's going to continue to get injured just because the elbow is just such a very fragile part of the body. So if you're pumping 103, but you, you're you you know using your elbow too much, you're going to just keep injuring it. Much like I think Padres prospect Reggie Lawson does. He throws 97, but he uses his elbow too much, which in turn... You're also describing Chris Sale. Yeah, Chris Sale too. Exactly. A lot of pitchers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, Chris' delivery was very much elbow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. No doubt. Yeah. And Chris Sale, we, I mean, he's great when he's healthy. He's one of the best pitchers in baseball. But these last couple of years, he hasn't been healthy because of that elbow. So I just hope that Munoz, they can shore up his delivery and maybe, maybe just take a few ticks off of his fastball just to make him uh, healthier going forward. We definitely want to try to keep him healthy. And, I mean, overall, he's a good pitcher. Like I said, I think he's a closer to the future. Uh, he's a young kid. He's only 21. As bad as it sounds, I mean, most pitchers these days are getting Tommy John. Not most of them. A lot of them are. I mean, it's almost a part of the process now. And when you're throwing a 103, as Drake said, and you have some type of arm, little, just your arm path isn't exactly ideal. You're going to have trouble. He's dealing with Tommy John right now. So obviously, it hit him early. Probably lucky for the Mariners that hit him already because they got a bargain deal on him, quite honestly. I don't think the Padres would have been looking to deal him, especially in a year that they were in this year. I don't think Munoz would have been honestly on the table by any means. But the Mariners took advantage, and they're going to rehab him. He'll be up next year sometime. And like I said, I think he's the closer to the future. He'll be 22. He probably won't step in as a closer right away. It might take him a year or two. But by the time they're ready to compete and contend, I think this is – I think this is the guy, like like you said, John, the command definitely needs to tick up a little bit. As I kind of touched with Della playing too, the command, you definitely don't want that as a closer. But I think a lot of that has to do with him being aggressively pushed. Yeah, the command's always shown problems. I think it'll kind of tick up a little bit as he kind of just gets healthy and just gets kind of set in a role and just firmly set in a location. He's been moving a lot in his career. The most he's ever spent in a single location was in a, in a season was 20 three innings. So he's all constantly on the move. I think once he just settles in in a location, he's going to be much better off. And that's kind of what I'm making out with him. Do you guys think that they have another Edwin Diaz here? <laughs> and they can just turn around and flip him for Kellenic again, or a guy like <laughs> Kellenic. This is good. Good yeah, cycle. I mean, he's got that stuff. He has, he has a shaky command at times and he has the plus fast or I mean, plus plus fastball. I mean, probably split the grades with uh, Edwin Diaz and 
And you know, I mean, I would say Edwin has near 80, probably a 70 slider, but you might not have an 80 fastball, but they have that same one-two pitch duo and they're both potential elite closers. I mean, we saw it with Diaz. He's still young. I mean, Diaz is still only, what, 25 or 26? I mean, Munoz has that kind of career path potential of being that elite closer at a young age, kind of like Roberto Osuna uh, on the Astros, like he was with the Blue Jays. He came up at 20, he was a closer right away. And Munoz has that kind of potential, but he just needs to get healthy. What a stark difference between the starters at the very top of this prospect list that are, you know, 60-grade command, 70-grade command, these these uh, plate artists, and then you get to these relievers that are lights-out stuff, and uh, I hope the command improves a little bit. Uh, it's it's uh, quite the difference. They're, they're, they're looking for two completely different pitchers in the starting role and the bullpen role. Yeah, Munoz and Della Plain have never been really starters at all in their careers. Munoz has literally started one game in his entire minor career, so both these guys have been looked at as bullpen arms their entire way. And you would hope their kind of command just picks up at some point. Slowly but surely, Munoz has kind of showed that. Again, he's young, so you hope it just kind of just slowly continues to improve again. Della Plain, if he just strikes out 45 guys a, a game or 45 uh, K percentage, I don't. Like I said, it might not even matter if he's walking sure. eight guys in an inning. It's, it's probably fine. Well, four years ago, Munoz had a 7.3 walk rate, 7.3 uh, walks per nine. And he's you know down to four now. He's every year he imp- he improves on that every single time. So we'll see how he improves next year and in the year any prior. And eventually he's going to be uh, zero walk rate. We'll call it right here. Ooh, <laughs> that's George Kirby. That is that is very very that's a, the next that's George Kirby take. guys. That's a hot <laughs> take right there. But let's take a step back, take a broader look at the system, the whole top twenty, and I want to mention the guys that we didn't touch on. Obviously, one through eight were gone. So 9 through 12 in order were catcher Cal Raleigh, who we're going to visit at the end with another Reddit question, uh, and then pitchers Justin Dunn and Brandon Williamson, and uh, Juan Thin. Then coming in at 15 and beyond, we have outfielder Jake Fraley, uh, pitcher and last year's second-round pick Isaiah Campbell. This year's second-round pick, outfielder Zach Deloach. Yet another outfielder in Braden Bishop, and finally two more pitchers with Wyatt Mills and Connor Phillips. But like I always do, take a step back even further from there, and outside the top 20, are there any guys that you want to keep an eye on? Or maybe you're going to enter this list next time after all these guys graduate. Like you were saying about Reddit, uh, John, I actually read a few of the questions. And uh, one of them was about Joe Rizzo and one of them was about Sam Carlson. So Joe Rizzo, I think he's not going to hit for much power going forward. But I do think he does have a really nice left-handed swing. I'm not really sure about his ETA. I haven't uh, really checked on him that much. But I know he does have that... Uh, high on base abilities and then sam carlson he's finally healthy mariners fans so that steal of the draft i think he might be able to come around sooner rather than later so that should be something to watch out for and those questions came from hauva 42 and why did i join this uh that's a winning that's a winning username right there <laughs> jake what about you he, he he touched on a few of them or at least Sam Carlson, for sure, I'm pretty interested in. I'm not too high on Rizzo, but he could carve out a role with the hit tool and all. But um, the few guys that I'm kind of looking at, the first one, he's a small kid. Uh, he's obviously not going to be a huge power guy or really – he's probably going to have a tough time carving out a full-time role. But the Mariners are going to need a hit – or a, uh, the Mariners are going to need a leadoff hitter at some point. Maybe this is their guy. 
this kid's only 5'8", 150, he's going to have to put on some pounds, eat some burgers or something, but he's got a solid hit tool. He's got plus-plus speed. He's got ability to play center field. The arm, again, is kind of like it's kind of like a Trammell, just a little bit smaller person. Just think of that. It's a, kind of the same profile, but he's got – I mean, he only showed one year last year. He was – Jake, I don't think you said his name yet. <laughs> oh. Um, well, since Sean told you I haven't said his name, I probably should tell you. His name is Jonathan Klasse. Um, so there you go. Maybe now you can go look him up and read him up while I read him up and stuff. But the kid's fun to watch, and I'm just kind of looking forward to what he can do in a full season and likely a ball next season. And if he can show up, put a little pounds, we might be looking at him as a potential, just like I said, leadoff hitter and exciting kind of just player at the top of the lineup for the uh, for the Mariners. Sure. Now, now I, I want to touch on one last Reddit question before we go on. This one is from Malgren. Uh, he wants to know with the addition of Luis Torrens. Where does Cal Raleigh stand in the plans for 2021-2022? Cal Raleigh is the catcher number nine on our list. Torrens is only 24 and is an intriguing option due to his plus defensive reputation and uptick in offense. Does the addition of Torrens speak to Mariner's uncertainty of Cal's future projections? What are your thoughts on Cal's chance of reaching his offensive ceiling? It's a really well-worded question. I appreciate you, Malgren. Yeah, good question. Um, for Raleigh, okay, I'll touch with Torrens first. He came over in that Padres trade. He was just another little piece of it. Um, with the Taylor Chamel and Muno. So he was kind of that last little piece of it. But, I mean, he'll get his shot this year. Obviously, Raleigh's not going to come up. He's part of that. We're not going to call these guys up this year. We're going to see what they got next year kind of thing. So Torrens is kind of carved out a role. He's improved, like you said. And he's got the defensive ability. Worst case scenario, he's going to carve out a backup role and get a shot. I'm not sure Raleigh's a long-term catcher here. I like him a little bit. There's some concerns here. His arm is just kind of people are they worried about it. When he got drafted, he had a fine arm. It was above average, even plus at times. But going into last year, it was pretty not. I want to say poor because that'd be I'd be doing him disservice. But it was below average, honestly. It wasn't. It didn't show like it did the year prior. And it probably has a lot of scouts concerned, and it probably has a Mariners concerned, honestly. I mean, you don't want a guy being able to just get ran on the whole time as your catcher. I mean. He's a he's a big kid. He's a six foot three two, so he doesn't exactly fit the exact catcher profile. His bat's solid. It's a forty hit, fifty power. So as a catcher, that's fine. I mean, you're not really concerned about that if he's going to give you fine defense. But if he has to move out the position, I'm not sure if he's going to be able with a stick anywhere. He's not exactly the most athletic guy. He's fine, but he probably have to go shut out in the outfield somewhere, and there's no room in the outfield like they mentioned. So he's if he can't take a catcher, he's got a problem. But I think he'll be able. To, I think. So those two could honestly just carve out a nice little platoon. I mean, Raleigh's a switch hitter. If he finds out a way that I'm not exactly sure right now, to be honest, if he's better one way or the other, but if he can find a role there, Torrens is the defensive presence and they go into the season with not much else needed at that position when they're kind of loaded everywhere else. I mean, if they can just get just consistency at the position of catcher and be able to kind of navigate their young catchers. And another thing with Raleigh, he's been with a few of these guys the last few years. So maybe it's something they're looking forward to with him as well. He caught Gilbert a little bit this year in double A, so maybe it's something they're looking forward to kind of keep that continuity going up to the major league level. So one thing about Raleigh that I want to bring up, you mentioned his arm was worsened. He did switch to like one knee on the ground stance when he was catching, and that made his pop time pretty bad. I wonder how much of it is just the Mariners were trying out something. It failed. All right, pop back up. You're You're not on your knees anymore. You know, just get in the squat position. And that should improve the pop time back to where it was. Yeah, it definitely could help it. And I personally am not a huge fan of the one leg down kind of thing. It just, especially with runners on, I think that just, I mean, just think about it. It, how it invites them to run. Well, it invites them to run, but like 
how are you supposed to shift and block? Like, I mean, we're speaking about these guys like Munoz and Delaplane who have nasty stuff and that stuff's going at 90 mile an hour sliders and you're expected as a catcher, a major league catcher to block anything around your vicinity and you're one knee down. You can't exactly jump like, like everyone says, like cat-like reflex because you can't exactly shift that fast. You're on one knee. You don't have that much mobility. I mean, if the ball's a little out of your reach, you can't shift your body in front of it. You're having to glove it. And I don't know, I'm just not a huge fan of, with one knee on the ground, it's fine with no guys on, but I know the reasoning is kind of give that umpire a little more leeway and kind of give him a better look at the zone, but I don't think it's worth giving up a free base. Certainly not. But guys, that is it for the Mariners today. Uh, Like always, we want to keep these T20s as informative as possible. We had a lot of good information here today. Drake, thank you again for joining us, man. Yet again, we appreciate you, and it was an absolute pleasure today. Thank you for having me. Let me spew my nonsense again. I like that. That's your that's your catchphrase. Spew that my is, nonsense. That what is a, my what my a guess. terrible catchphrase. Dude, we need to make shirts now. Spew my nonsense. Spew. All right, go to the merch page, prospectworldwide.com/slash/merch. Twenty dollars each. <laughs> As we sign off, please tell the world where they can find you and if there's anything you want to plug. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at drakeman4, and right now I'm currently working on the Indians top twenty, so that should be out within the next couple weeks. Okay, we'll look forward to doing that. That means another podcast that we have to do later. Uh, Jake, what about you? Where can people find you, and what are you working on? Yeah, as always, you can find me on Twitter, jtillinghast27, J-T-I-L-L-I-N-G-H-A-S-T-2-7. Prospects Worldwide on Twitter, Prospects World W. Um, as far as what I'm working on, by the time this is out, I should have out the uh, top 75 prospects for high school for the 2021 draft. I'm working on that for the past, I mean, I've been working on it since the draft season got started, but really been hammering out the last ranks in the last few months or, or a few weeks or so ever since the uh, Perfect Game All-American or Perfect Game All-American game and just ready to get those out and ready to get into some college looks and eventually bump that up to about 100, 150, 200 or so and kind of get that rolling in the next season and like, get a bunch of scouting reports and all that. But yeah, check out our work. If you're not just a Mariners fan or you're any prospects fan, if you're in fantasy leagues or whatever, we got a ton of information for you on the site. Rankings for dynasty leagues. I mean, prospect lists for not just the Mariners. So we've got every other team coming up or up already. So go check them out. Got a ton of stuff for you. Yeah. And, and as always, I'm John Giles. You can follow me at Puma Revive. That's P-U-M-A-R-E-V-I-V-E-D. And please continue to listen to the pod. We're going to have a ton more of these episodes coming out. And remember to give us a good review each episode. It means a lot, it means the world to me to see a five-star review on Apple. And remember, you can find this article for everyone we mentioned here today over at prospectsworldwide.com. Look around over there. Have some fun. Like Jake said, we have a lot of things going on. If you have any questions about a team we haven't done yet, or if you just want to hear us banter on something, send us a line to at prospectsworldw on Twitter. I look forward to reading those questions, and I'll be happy to ask them next time. Thanks for listening today, Mariners fans. I'm John Giles, and this... My oh my is prospects worldwide.